Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Lucas Brooks. Why are all of the gay men always like, ew, vagina? This is exquisite. <laughs> that and more. But before that, one of the things that is so exciting about this August has been that now a lot of people have finished reading the Risk book. It's been out long enough that people have read it, and we are absolutely thrilled at how really and truly people are loving it. The Risk book is just getting rave reviews everywhere we go. Let me read you a few things people have said on Amazon. Kara Welch said, I plan on buying the book as Christmas gifts for my friends and family who aren't familiar with the podcast. And then an anonymous Amazon customer said, even if you remember a story from the podcast, it'll still feel new and unique reading it. I also felt that the blend of serious stories and funny stories was a great balance and kept the pace of the book strong. And even Ilana Glazer from Comedy Central's Broad City is right there on the cover of the book saying, Risk gives a platform to stories rarely heard, to people rarely represented, and their most insane experiences. This book pushes us to live lives that inspire stories like these, to take risks you want to live through, to tell stories about. So if you loved the book, Buy more copies <laughs> to give to friends. Call your library or indie bookstore. Make sure they have it. If you know anyone with lots of Twitter followers or fans, send them a copy and, and you know, have them post on social media about it and leave your own reviews on Amazon. We're so proud of the book and we just want to make sure that it has a long history of finding new readers and new fans. 
Also, I'd like to recommend a podcast that I love called This Is Actually Happening. The show features uncanny, extraordinary, real-life stories that have permanently altered the lives of ordinary people with riveting accounts of near-death experiences, traumatic childhood events, spiritual transformations. You'll meet a man who was shot in the chest by his own father, a woman who grew up with a sister who had multiple personalities, a man who woke up in a morgue with a highly distilled first-person format that has no narrative narrator or host. These are stories that will stick with you long after you listen. You can find This Is Actually Happening on your favorite podcast apps, including SoundCloud and Spotify, or learn more at thisisactuallyhappening.com. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin ellison and this i mean this is the queen of soul behind me now may she rest in peace I, technically it's a remix by uh, albert cabrera that was all the rage in the gay clubs in the 90s my own story about the time <laughs> that I met Aretha is on an episode of Risk. That episode is called Delusional. So if you get a chance, definitely check that out. But this episode is called Unpredictable. These are three stories from recent live shows that we've done on this <laughs> this gar-fucking-gantuan Risk book tour. I've never, you know, I used to be on TV in the 90s. I have never been this busy in my life. I've never been this busy. I've never been this exhausted. I've never eaten so poorly, lacked exercise so much, and felt like the bags under my eyes were turning into, I, I look like a raccoon. Anyway, all right, but... The shows, the shows, the storytellers, the book readings, the audiences have been and continue to be, because we're still in the thick of this, just fucking amazing. Just amazing. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Ryan Estrada, who is a huge, longtime fan of Risk, who's been waiting to do the show for years but who lives in Korea. <laughs> but before that, we're going to hear from a friend of mine. Lucas Brooks is a sex educator and a writer and a performer and the lovely and wonderful host of the website intellectualhomosexual.com. And here he is now at the recent Risk Live show that we did in Boston, Massachusetts for the Risk Book Tour. This is Lucas Brooks with a story we call 
Just do it. I had a friend, Winter, who worked for an organization that put on kink events. Knowing I was a sex educator, he had been trying to recruit me as a presenter for about a year, and I kept resisting. I didn't identify as kinky at the time and thought that all the other kinky people would think I was a total pansy and not like me. So I kept pushing him away and pushing him away, and finally a year later he says, Lucas, you're a performer. You put shows on all the time. Do you want to produce a show for us? And I'm like, I do perverted shit on stage all the time. I can totally do that. Yeah, let's do this. Great, you have to teach two workshops as well. Got me. So I started thinking about what sort of classes I want to teach that might be appropriate for a kinkier crowd. I had only taught blowjobs to straight people at that point, mostly. (laughs) And... uh, I started thinking about what kind of show I want to do, and I found out that a performer friend of mine, Bambi, has been at these events before. I'm like, good, I have no idea what I'm doing. You please help me. She's like, yes, we got this. So we round up a team of merry perverts and put a little uh, dog and pony show together. Not that kind of dog and pony show that the kinky people want, but close enough. And we've got some solid stuff. I've got a couple solid classes. We've got a solid show. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling okay. But in the month leading up to this event, I am just overcome with anxiety because entering any sort of new environment makes me panic. Um, But also, I was going to a kink event. I was going to be in a sexually sexually charged space for a whole weekend. And I didn't know if I was going to get laid. This is a problem for me. Luckily, the organization has a lovely little uh, social network specifically for uh, the event where you can sort of go down a list of who's going to be there and put a message. It's kind of like, you know, old message boards from the early 2000s, but all black because kinky. And um, so I'm looking at people's personal ads. I'm looking at people's profiles and there's some photos and I'm like, I might be, might be the only gay guy at this event. And... You know, I, I'm okay with this, but I also really want to get laid. So I'm, like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of hope. And I go through some profiles. And I'm like, that guy, he doesn't really say he looks kind of gay. I don't know. Um, so I, I don't really send out any messages. I kind of just like see what comes to me. Nothing comes to me. Then a week before the event, messages start rolling in. Most of them are not of my interest. Some of them are women who are willing to tie me up. And I'm like, not what I'm looking for, but thank you. Then I get one that stood out. Their name was CJ. Um, they were a trans boy. This was unfamiliar territory for me. They had a photo, and it was adorable. It was like a Clark Kent like busting open a shirt into Superman sort of situation, but the face was still not completely clear, so I was like, I'm not sure. And they gave me a lovely array of activities that they might possibly be interested in doing with me, but. I'm still not completely sure what my comfort level is. I say, maybe this massage option will work. Let's meet up and see how we feel when we meet. So anyway, the event comes around and my little troupe of performers rolls in. And 
none of us have been there. We're all kind of looking around me like, what do we do first? And the camp is very expansive. It's an outdoor camping event, which I'm terrified of bugs. So I'm like, I'm a little shaky already. And, you know, there's a lovely row of cabins over here. There's a lovely row of cabins over there. There's a barn that has been converted into a dungeon. There is a pool. There is... uh, tents and towels on the grass and I can hear moans of spanks already. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. So uh, we get there just in time for lunch and we find Bambi who had just finished up a class and she's like, hey, come to lunch and I'll tell you who everyone is and what to do. I was like, cool. You just have to wear clothes in the cafeteria. I'm like, all right, fine, if you insist. I was already fully dressed at the time, so it wasn't a problem. Um, It was the only place you had to actually be fully dressed at all times. Otherwise, who knows? Um, And we sit down at the cafeteria and I'm looking around and I'm like taking in all of the people in various fascinating outfits. Some of our leather, uh, rubber, uh, cat ears galore. You know, this is the kind of environment we're in. And Bambi is telling me all the rules, who are the people I should know. And I'm like, so there's a person who hit me up on the message board, CJ. And she's like, oh yeah, he's right there and points him out. And I'm like, they're really cute. They are completely shirtless and they are wearing a uh, leather harness that's binding their breasts down. They've got these adorable thick rim glasses on. Their hair is short and brown and a little fluffy on top and they just look like a beacon of energy. I'm like, oh, this looks, this looks like a very lovely person. And Bambi calls them over and I, I, uh, I learned later on that they is the pronoun they prefer so I'm retroactively correcting myself because I got it wrong in the beginning. And they come over, and Bambi's like, CJ, this is Lucas. And he, they're like, oh, hey. And they have this adorable smile. I'm like, hi. But I'm also still sort of nervous because I'm not sure what my comfort level is. And uh, we make some small talk, and they'd be, oh, you talk, we talked about doing a massage. This is massage oil I brought. Take a smell. It's organic. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, you chose well. Um, and you know, we say, see you later. And We do see each other later. Throughout the day, we actually see each other a lot and spend a lot of time together. We're just kind of like making a lot of extensive small talk. And I think that I'm flirting, but I'm never actually sure if I'm flirting when I think I'm flirting. So um, I'm not entirely sure if I'm not flirting when I think I am or if CJ just has lost interest. And I'm like, okay, it's not the end of the world. But anyway, the first night comes to an end and it's been a fantastic time. And the next day, I have already taught my first class and it didn't suck and uh, I'm wandering around camp just seeing what's going on trying to make a friend or see a friend I already know and I actually bump into CJ by the pool and they're kind of like looking just a little bit uncertain just about existence in general and I wave them down and I say hey what's going on and they're like oh I'm thinking about going this first swim but I need to put on sunscreen and they're holding up packet, an individual use sunscreen packet. Uh, it looks like a little mayo thing. And like, but I also have spray on sunscreen at the cabin I can go back and grab. I'm like, or I could help you. That is the only moment in my life I've been suave. I'm still milking it to this day. <laughs> and they like flash me their adorable grin. They're like, that'd be great. And I'm like, sweet. How is this gonna go? Because, you know, they, uh, their body is still as it was when they were born. They still have breasts and everything. And I'm like, this is going to be completely unfamiliar territory for me. At this point in my life, I am always what referred to as a gold star gay, which means I have never had sex with a 
women in my life. Uh, I've only made out with them for social purposes later in life. I was born by C-section, so I've really like never gone through it at all. Um, I don't know if there's an extra star for that or whatever. Um, I don't really care, but do with that what you will. And um, so we go by the pool and they hand me their sunscreen and they take everything off and I sit on a beach chair and they like sit in front of me and I get the stuff on my hands. I start, uh, you know, rubbing them up and down and I'm, you know, trying to be delicate at first just because I'm touching parts that I don't know how they like to be touched and I'm just trying to be cautious but then I like start, you know, working my way around and it's going swimmingly and I'm like, this doesn't feel weird at all. This is so normal. What the actual fuck? Um, and then as this is happening we're making small talk again and I work up the courage to say so CJ just to put it out there I think you're super cute and I would really like to play with you sometime this weekend if you're still interested and they perk up and look back at me they're like really? I didn't think I was your type and I'm like well I wasn't certain until I met you, and I think we would have a really good time together. And they're like, great, let's do it. And I was like, just saying, I've only ever been with cis men in my entire life, so some of this territory is gonna be uh, new for me. And they're like, that's okay, what do you wanna do? And I go through, I'm like, oh, I haven't done a whole lot of kinky stuff in my life, mostly just sexual. They're like, okay, so, fucking. And I'm like, oh good, I wasn't sure if you'd like that. Um, <laughs> But we agreed that fucking is totally on the menu. I'm like, yeah, some bondage would be cool. They're like, I can tie you up. I'm like, great, because I, I, I like being tied up. Fun stuff. Um, uh, and we talk about schedules, and we're like, okay, so tomorrow morning is the only time I have available. I'm like, I'll make it work. So, um, you know, I finish uh, getting them all sunscreened, and they say can I go brag to my partner that I get to play with you tomorrow? And I was like, I would be honored, please do. And they say, can I kiss you? And I say, oh yes, please do. And we kiss and it's fantastic. And they frolic off to the other end of the pool where their partner is hanging out. And they, I, I see them like whisper to each other and look back at me and look back at each other and giggle. And I'm like, I feel like a stud. So I'm, I'm just chilling on the pool chair for a while and they go swimming. And about 10 minutes later, they're like, hey, come swim with us. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't have anything else to do. So I like take everything off and wear a swimsuit, but I would rather swim naked given the option. So I jump in the pool and we're hanging out. And then CJ and I are talking and we're talking closer and we're talking closer and we start making out and it's, perfect and the first thing I noticed is that like in all of my sexual experiences there's always been this sword fight of cocks <laughs> and it's something that feels weird in the beginning but over the years you just grow to accept it and you're like okay you to the left I'm to the right we're, we're good we, we can we can line us up and I'm like that obviously wasn't happening now and I was like this is refreshing <laughs> There is no struggle below the belt. Wow. So we have a good makeout session. Their partner watches and giggles, and we say see you later and call it good. The following day, we meet at the barn turned dungeon for our play date. In the evening time, the dungeon is hopping. There's like all of the noises and all of the rock music and all of the screams. And but during the day, it's very quiet. There's a only a little bit of activity happening. There's one young bearded fellow 
beating a glamorous woman's breast to a pulp. There is a married couple doing a blowjob situation on the spanking bench. That's not what that's for. (laughs) There is a little, like, box cage of sorts designed to fit a large animal that is now containing a human dressed as a cat. We walk by, meow, we say, why? (laughs) Not to judge, but it was, it kind of came out of nowhere, like one of those haunted house scenes where suddenly it's like, Um, so we look around and we say, okay, there's a, there's this kid, it's like a batting cage without the batting in the middle of the room. It's about like six foot wide, 10 feet long, 10 feet high, whatever the details you like with like wrestling mats on it. We're like, that looks fun. So we decide that they're going to tie me up and we are going to fuck, uh, simultaneously. I will explain it as I go. And, uh, we agree that we're going to use all the barriers, condoms, gloves, uh, the, that stuff. And um, we're like, okay, great, let's go. And they playfully push me down to the mat. I'm on my back. They tie my hands to the fence and kissing me and biting me and everything is going swimmingly. And then uh, they're like, so do you want to fuck? And I'm like, yes, let's please do that. And they take out a condom, they slide it onto my cock, and they're like, huh. I say, what, like, that's the first time I ever put a condom on a cis cock. I'm like, glad to have been your first. Um, and they get, they straddle me, and they get ready to ride me. And in that moment, I suddenly have a lot of questions, just, am I going to be good at this? What is this going to feel like? I'm nervous that I'm going to say something stupid or decide I don't like it in the middle of it and hurt someone's feelings. But they slide down on me, and everything is fantastic. And I was like, I was so worried, but this feels like any other body I've been inside. Why are all of the gay men always like, ew, vagina? This is exquisite. <laughs> it, I feel at home inside CJ's hole. And... They slowly start riding me, and I'm still wondering, am I going to be any good? And one of the first things they say is, oh, I'm so full. I'm like, that's good. (laughs) I was never certain my equipment would please a frontal hole, and turns out I am great there. (laughs) Uh, They start riding me. They pick up speed. They're making noises. I'm making noises. We're we're a great team together. And, uh, you know, we're riding, we're riding, and at one point, CJ leans over, whispers in my ear, and says, what do you think, little boy? Do you like cunts? My answer it was, is a resounding, yes. <laughs> and we go at it and, until my leg cramps up because I'm on my back and I'm thrusting upwards and your body can only do that for so long, but I'm having a blast. And they get off me, they pull the condom off, I crank one out, I have the amazing orgasm. And I know that orgasms don't equal the best sex, just as a sex educator, it's kind of a rule. And uh, I was like, was that good for you? They're like, oh yes. I'm like, did you come? They're like, oh, I came four times. I was like, yes, I'm a rock star. (laughs) Also, what I didn't realize was that not to overshare, but the shape of my equipment is perfect for hitting the G-spot. That was exciting. That was very exciting information. 
Um, so we are in the afterglow. We're decompressing and we're talking and I'm just sort of staring at the ceiling like, wow, wow. I just say it like five times in a row. But I'm just processing all of the information in my brain because you know, one of the jobs I have as a sex educator is constantly telling people how their bodies work and how partners with different anatomy aren't that foreign. You know, instead of when men are from Mars, women are from Venus, we're all from Earth. And we're all made out of the same stuff. And it's so familiar. I realized how familiar CJ's body was despite feeling it was completely unexplored territory. And I've gone forth to spread the word to anyone who will listen. If you see a person and they look like a good sexy time and they think you look a good sexy time, just do it. You will figure the rest out. Thank you. Is it normal? Normal? Well, what's normal? Let's see, if you're standing in a room, stripped, and it's dark, and you're hugging a person, loving them, and rubbing them up and down, and they're rubbing you, and you're rubbing them, and rubbing them, and rubbing them, and, rubbing them, and suddenly the light goes on, and it's the same sex, you've been trained to go, <laughs> But it felt okay. come here from Korea tonight, but I actually grew up in Michigan. And growing up here, I was not a cool tween. Uh, back in 1993, when I was 13 years old, all the other boys had already done the whole puberty thing. I had not particularly done that. They were all already talking to girls, talking about girls. Nobody wanted to talk about Bugs Bunny cartoons, which was my jam. Uh, but it was, makes it weird that I was the first person in my school to start an intimate relationship with a married woman. <laughs> and this started uh, back in this amazing month in 1993 when an elite group of people in my school got 100 free hours of America Online. Now, I know years later they'd switch from floppy disks to CDs and they'd flood your house with them uh, like letters from Hogwarts. But at this time, these things were still coveted and valuable. And I got my hands on one. So I plugged that thing into the computer. I unplugged the phone line, plugged it in, which at that time, since every family only had one, was basically like saying to the whole family, mom, dad, brother, sister, Hope you don't mind, I'm cutting you off from the outside world for two hours because I'm jacking into cyberspace. <laughs> and after the squeaking, hissing modem sound, I heard the most amazing sound I'd ever heard. Welcome. <laughs> and that sound welcomed me to the future. Not just the future of technology, but my own future, because this was a whole new world. 
where I could be my own man. I could do anything I wanted. I could read anything I wanted. And I didn't even need to ask my mom to drive me to the library. <laughs> All it took was a couple of hours of searching through unsorted, unsearchable links. And I could have any information I wanted magically sent to my computer within seven minutes, depending on how many pictures were on the page. And I looked at so much Looney Tunes fan art. But that was not what the other kids in school used it for. They were into this hot new thing. I don't know if the kids are still doing it these days. Uh, cybering? Anybody cyber? Cybersex? Uh, if you're unfamiliar, basically this is how it would work. You'd go in a chat room, like say maybe Cybersex Single Zone, and you'd see a whole bunch of people just typing ASL, ASL, ASL. And at first you'd be like, American Sign Language? I don't got those buttons. But you'd notice from context that everyone would respond with their age, sex, and location. And uh, if you saw an ASL that you liked, you'd take it to a private. And in the private, I gotta be honest, I still to this day have no idea what was supposed to happen in there. But I knew that I had to find out. Because I had been ignored and outcast and bullied every day at school for not knowing what the other kids knew, so I had to find out what happened on the other side. I had to cyber. And to do that, I needed an ASL. Now, obviously, I couldn't use my real ASL. Like, I go in there, I go into the cybersex single zone, and I say age 13, they're gonna laugh me out of the room. Sex, I was uncomfortable with the term, but I'd stick with the truth. Location, though, I ain't tracking the FBI back to Michigan. I don't know what's gonna go on in there. So I had to think of an ASL that was, sounded exotic, but believable. So I went with 26 male Ohio. And you laugh now, but that shit worked. Because within seconds, I got a message from 25 female Ohio on my first shot. And I felt ready for anything except her first question, which was, oh, cool, where in Ohio? I don't know any cities in Ohio. There ain't no Google. They don't even got tabs. What am I supposed to do? Log off and put in my Encarta CD-ROMs? I don't got that kind of time. So I throw a Hail Mary pass and I cringe and I'm like, the city? And she's like, cool, I live a couple hours out of there. Nailed it. But then she threw another toughie. She's like, what's your name? I can't tell her my name is Ryan. Like, what if my mom found out? So uh, I, I decided to give her the coolest name I could think of. And I'm like, Chad. She's like, what do you do, Chad? And I'm like, I'm in a band. I already fucked it up. That's too cool. She's going to know I'm making it up as I go along. So I had to make it more believable. And I'm like, that's just my night gig. By day, I'm a professional cartoonist. Still too cool. But she bought it. And at that point, I honestly had no idea what to do next. Because, like, how do you even cyber? Like, am I supposed to talk about her boobs? Like, what is there even to say about them? Am I supposed to ask what her vagina looks like? Because I honestly had no idea. She could have been like, oh, it's real green and pointy. And I'd be like, cool, just like I like them. <laughs> so my technique was I decided to shut up and let her do all the talking, which she did. She talked about, like, music and stuff. And I would just be like, yeah. 
okay, cool. But the whole time I'm cringing, just uh, thinking there's this inevitable moment that's going to be like, what is even wrong with you? Why aren't you saying anything? When are you going to tell me about your wiener? Don't you know how to cyber? Which made it surprising when what she actually said was, you're a real good listener. It was going really well. But eventually I had to log off. I had a gig, which was Chad's way of saying Ryan's mom told him to go to bed. But I went to bed a man. Because I had done my seven minutes in heaven. Who cared what happened on the other side? And for all I knew, that's what cybering was. And the cybering continued. Because the next day after school, I heard a whole new sound. It said, you've got mail. And it was from her. And she's like, Chad, it was so nice talking to you. You know, I, I have no one to talk to in the, this trailer park in Ohio that I live in. And I just watch soaps all day. And it was so great to have a real connection. I just get so lonely. And I'm like, this lady's up for anything. I can finally make my move. And I talked about Bugs Bunny cartoons. And she didn't even laugh at me. We just got each other, you know? And then she got a little more personal. She trusted me more. And she's like, you know, the reason that I'm online so much is that it's my only chance to talk to other people. Because, see, my husband works all day long, and I'm here all alone. And when he's gone, I'm not allowed to leave the house. I'm not allowed to have friends. I haven't seen my family in over a year. And he freaks out if I so much as look out the window and the mailman's here. And, you know, I got how that felt. I'd been grounded. <laughs> But I didn't understand the next part because she's like, it's worse when he is home because that's when he hits me. And I, I knew that wasn't right because as far as I knew, when a man and a woman loved each other, they get married. And if you love someone, why would you hurt them? And I knew as a grown up, I should be saying something in that moment, but I didn't know what advice I could possibly give. But I remembered some advice so many people had given me over the years. And I said, you don't hit girls. And she said, you know, I have this fantasy that one day I wouldn't be with him anymore. Instead, I'd be with someone like you. And I don't know how to respond to that. I still slept in Garfield sheets. <laughs> like, I can't save anybody. I got nowhere for her to go. I still shared a bed with my brother. And how am I going to get up the stairs with my mom finding out? It's, it's not a whole thing. So I'm like, hey, man, if you want to run away from home, like, that seems like something you should do for you, not for someone else. And she's like, oh, I, I could never actually leave. I'm trapped. Whew, load off my mind. <laughs> Except it wasn't, though. Because she was so nice to me, and I didn't want her to be trapped. This guy felt like every bully that picked on me in school. And I couldn't imagine being trapped in a house with them, not allowed to leave. So I said, don't you have any friends or family you could talk to? And she's like, oh, no, they wouldn't understand. And I'm like do they know? And she said, oh, no, of course not. And I said, well, of course you can't understand what you don't know. Like, why do you think I'm on here trying to learn what cybering is? But I didn't say that. Um, basically, I, I said, you've got to talk to them. And she said, we've, we've grown apart. We're, you know, we've drifted away from each other. It's been too long. I'm thinking, if you don't leave your house and you don't talk to anyone, of course you're going to drift apart. Like, there are a couple months where I got super into Sonic the Hedgehog. I didn't go outside or talk to anybody, but then I beat the game and it was something we could talk about and we got together again. But I didn't say that. What I said was, look, 
I only know you through AOL messages. I believe you, and I know that you're a cool, interesting, smart, funny person, and you deserve better. So of course the people who've known you your whole life are gonna feel the same way. And she thanked me, and this time it was her that had to sign off. And this time when I went to bed, I felt weird, like it didn't feel right. But I felt a little better the next day when once again I heard, you've got mail. And the message read, dear Chad, I did it. I got out. I'm staying with a friend now. I don't know what my next step is, but I know that I'm in a better place now. I know that I'm never going back, and I know that I have you to thank for it. Oh, and one more thing. I'm in the city now, and I'm falling for you. <laughs> Thought one. I was so, so proud of her. Thought two. Fuck. I was in too deep, y'all. My guts dropped. I sink on the back of the computer chair. This was like that first time when you, you think you're old enough to cross the street by yourself and you turn and there's a truck flying at you because you, you, you forgot to look both ways and now you're in the adult world. There's ways you didn't know existed. I couldn't go to the city. I, I had school. I didn't know how to drive. I was still scared of girls. I still didn't even know what city I supposedly lived in. So I'm trying to come up with some kind of a response, like those giant 90s clunky keys seem bigger than usual as I'm searching for the words and wearing out that backspace button as I write and erase and redraft. And it's getting longer and longer. I can see that by that little green circle that she's waiting for a response that she's not getting. It's almost bedtime. I can't keep doing this. I have to just type something and send and stop overthinking it. So what I typed was, I am so proud of you. You took a big step today and it was all your bravery that got you there. I'm just honored that I could be the one to give you that tiny nudge you needed to do what was always possible. And I will always value our friendship. Sincerely, Ryan. Send. And I thought I'd done pretty good because I didn't realize what I'd done there. <laughs> and I think I see some nodding. People in the audience have figured out what I did there. And I know that she noticed what I did there because within seconds I got another email in all caps that read, Who the fuck is Ryan? <laughs> it was muscle memory, okay? You know how much time you spend typing your own name in typing class? Like, I was spending so much time trying to talk from the heart, I didn't think to lie. And in that, you know, I had... I had spent so much time trying to sound like a grown-up, I had somehow tricked both of us into thinking it was true, and in that moment, it all unraveled. And I'm like, uh, I, you know, I, I, I suddenly became the scared, frightened, stupid kid, and I'm like, I have to come clean, I have to tell her everything. And just without thinking, I typed, uh, I'm Ryan, I'm 13, my friends dared me to cyber, sorry. And then I was too scared to see what she responded, and I logged off, and then my 100 free hours of AOL ran out, and I never talked to her again. <laughs> admit that's not the best way to end things when you find out you've accidentally catfished a woman to leaving her husband for you. <laughs> and you know, even though I did that whole thing just so that I could tell the other kids that I was one of them, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> this was this sad, pathetic thing that a scared little boy had done. I thought I was going to take to the grave. But looking back on it, I can see that 
she really helped me move on to this new stage in life where I stopped worrying what other people thought and decided to figure out who I was and how to be that person and build a life where I could be myself and be happy. And despite it all, I hope that I did the same for her. Thank you. This is Risk. This is Zeke Duhon behind me now, and we just heard from Ryan Estrada. Now, Ryan is a cartoonist uh, who you can find at ryanestrada.com, but like I was saying before, he lives in Busan, South Korea. Ryan has been a Risk fan for years, and the show inspired him to start his own storytelling show in Korea called True Stories Busan. So if you're over there, Go check it out. He just happened to be in Detroit when we did the show there a few weeks back. So that was a real treat being able to finally have him on the show. Before that, we heard a little interstitial by Jeff Barr mixing Foreigner with George Carlin. And now it's time for me to talk to you about Lisa Mattress's A Quality Night Sleep helps you recover from distractions faster. It helps prevent the burnout. It helps you make better decisions and improve your memory and just overall make fewer mistakes. This is not marketing. This is science. To design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 26,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world a better place, but that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell. They're committed to planting 1 million trees by 2025. I have a Lisa mattress, and seriously, I've never felt a more comfortable mattress. Just firm enough and soft enough in all the right ways. So don't miss these summer savings. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash risk. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash risk for $160 off. Lisa, a better place to sleep. 
Also, these days you can get practically everything on demand, like this podcast. You can listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you still taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer, and then the mail carrier picks it up. Just click, print, mail, you're done. Couldn't be easier. We use stamps.com at Risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you can use Risk for this special offer. It includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Okay, our final story on this week's episode is another one from our recent Detroit show. This is Julia Christine, and she's a sign painter. She, she, she actually made a sign all about risk recently, and it was just gorgeous. Uh, you can find her on Instagram at Julia Letters Things. Here she is now. It's Julia Christine with a story we call Learning How to Live. that I wake up blurry-eyed to the sound of Brian's hot piss streaming onto something other than a toilet were in my freshman dorm room about three months into the relationship. I can see his fuzzy silhouette at the foot of my bed and he's unconscious and he's just going to town pissing all over my feet. I'm like, oh shit, Brian, get up, get to the bathroom. And I try to guide him there, but he punches me in the chest and he yells, get the fuck off me, you cunt. I recoil in pain. I'm like, okay. Uh, it only takes me a couple more months to train my body to wake up whenever I hear a slight rustle in the bed of him getting up and stumbling drunkly toward the closet or the, or the laundry basket or my laptop. And then I grab a pot, the biggest pot I can find, and I just shove it under his dick and let him go to town, do what he needs to do. And this is kind of how it is with us. I was 18 and he was 27 when we met and started dating and I had had so little dating experience and even less experience saying no to anybody that when he seemed infatuated with me, I thought, hey, Julia, it's, it's just polite to say that you feel the same way, right? Besides, he was this confident drummer with fascinating stories. Oh yeah, when I was living out in Brooklyn, I would like play all the time with Ryan Adams and The Strokes and Connor O'Burst. I went on tour with Connor and man, those guys can really party. We had some fun times. He would leave me these little notes around the apartment um, with little cheesy poetry and stuff. And he had this bravado about him that was really fascinating to me, because I'm a really timid person. But all of this was like this pretty patina 
over his real problems. I didn't see that that he would guard over me like a dog on a hydrant when we were in public spaces and hardly let me speak to a man. I didn't see that he was really irritable almost every day until he had a beer in his hand and that he talked over me almost all the time. One day we're listening to music in his apartment and he puts in this CD and this gorgeous melody comes over me and this voice that's fragile and kind of lo-fi streams into the room and I'm like, this is beautiful, who is this? Brian says, oh, yeah, actually this is my solo album. I, um, I wrote this you know, and recorded it when I was in Brooklyn. <sighs> A year later, I'm listening to NPR and that song, the one that sent chills up my spine, comes on the radio. I'm like, holy shit, Brian is on the fucking radio. The announcer comes on and she says, and that was the song, I'll Be Your Bird, from M. Ward's album, Transistor Radio. After some research, yeah, Brian is not M. Ward. <laughs> so I do confront him about this, and I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And he comes clean. But at first, he kind of tries to convince me that I'm the one mistaken, even though the facts are like right out there. And it leaves me feeling very confused and kind of doubting what I know. So this other thing that happens when I confront him is that I feel a tightness in my belly. I hate it. It feels like there's this goblin that's inside me just twisting my intestines around, and it happens whenever I feel that there's conflict. And so I decide, you know what? No more conflict. So I just tell myself, okay, Julia, it's totally okay that you've been supporting him and that even though you're going to school full-time and everything, that you're like supporting his entire universe financially and otherwise, and it's totally fine that you drive him to all of his gigs and everything because, I mean, he had a DUI a few years ago and he really just hasn't gotten his license back. You're just being a good girlfriend. And Julia, just ignore the fact that sometimes when you go to work, you realize that your debit card isn't in your wallet because he needed to grab it while you were sleeping so he could go to the corner dive. How else was he going to pay his tab? It's fucked up and unsustainable, but it works just enough that I feel a little safe and like the conflict is far away from me. Then on the 4th of July in 2012, my patina gets sandblasted the fuck off. There's this drought all summer long, but on the 4th of July, a monumental storm rolls in and hail just smashes all the plants. And the sky is lit up with heat lightning all night long. I cannot sleep. A bolt of lightning hits a power line across the street and sets it aflame. I have to call the fire department and I just can't sleep. I'm shaken awake. So I go to work, exhausted, and then I go home. And my mom calls me. She says, uh, Julia, um, are you home right now? Can I, can I come over? And that goblin inside of me just comes screaming back. I feel twisted in knots. And I know that something is terribly wrong. So we're standing on the front porch. And my parents pull up. My mom comes out of the car. And she looks weary and kind of distant. She says... Uh, Julia, Grandma has passed away. And before I can even 
comprehend what she said to me, she continues, the cops are at her house and there was foul play. My knees buckle and I sit on the concrete step. And at that moment, I know that it has something to do with my uncle, her youngest son, who'd been living there for years, who had stopped taking his medication, his schizophrenia medication, about at least a year ago. And he would mutter and shout about demons and politicians and about how everyone was coming to get him. I learned in the next few days from my dad that my grandma had gone out and gotten groceries just before the storm rolled in. And she was taking a load of them into the basement where my uncle lived. And he saw a demon in the form of his mother. And so he attacked her. He stabbed her small frame with a kitchen knife over a dozen times. Blood covered the basement, the shag rug, the washer and dryer, the fresh groceries. And now we're a family broken. Grandma was this sharp Polish lady who had a very infectious laugh and um, she made the best chicken soup. She had this streak of perseverance having gotten her high school diploma at the age of 58. And she would tell me, Julia, never stop learning, never stop creating. So the grief that I experience in the next few months just tears me from my comfortable numbness. I can no longer be in a crowd or complete a sentence or fake a smile. It's obvious. I realize that I need to get professional help. For the grief, of course, hoping that I won't have to deal with anything else going on in my life. <laughs> but I sit down for that first session with Annette, and she asks me, so, what's your relationship like? I'm like, oh, it's fine. I mean, he's great. We've been together for like seven years now, and I mean, he's cool. He's like an alcoholic and everything, but it's fine, and it doesn't affect me or anything. It's, it's all totally cool. And she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. Let's take a look at that. And she doesn't let me put it back away. So she starts helping me work through the shame that I feel about my situation. She asks me, what if you maybe made some decisions for yourself, did something alone? So I try taking walks in the morning. She asks me, okay, what is it called when somebody belittles your thoughts, isolates you, and controls your actions? And I say, abuse. It's called abuse. I start attending these recovery meetings for people who have been affected by alcoholism, which I had no idea existed. And these are rooms where I can go in and tell the actual truth about my life without any judgment in front of people who have similar stories. My shoulders start to straighten up and my stomach starts to loosen a little bit. And Brian, he hates it. He loathes that I'm getting help. He says, you're addicted to other people. These people are brainwashing you. I'm not the one with the problem, you are. He's, he's angry all the time. He goes through my emails and my texts, trying to find out information about this stuff. 
even though it's supposed to be anonymous, <laughs> I'm like, okay, Brian, whatever. I try to just like get by and do what I can, but there's this like retreat that I'm really excited about going on. It's a women's retreat with some friends in the group, and he comes up to me and he goes, yeah, I met this guy at the bar, and he says that he's going on this trip, and that it's really co-ed, and I know that you're just going there because all these guys want to fuck you in there. It takes all the strength in my being to recognize that I'm not the one who's mistaken in that situation. And that he's totally fabricated this because he's gotten desperate. So I go on the trip anyway. I'm no longer playing as much of a role of that doormat, the peacemaker. It feels kind of good to step out from under the shadows. By November of the next year, I'm feeling kind of like an independent person. And my friends have started noticing. I'm in a band with Brian, and our bandmates have even said to me that, um, that my singing voice has gotten stronger instead of sitting back in the mix. So we're playing this Monday night gig, and Brian gets blackout drunk before our set. On stage, it's a total mess. He's yelling and slurring at the sound guy. He cuts out entire verses of some songs and then doubles others. And we're all trying to keep up on stage with him. We're looking at each other with this whole new level of wide-eyed what the fuck. And I know that this isn't something that's just going to be brushed aside. He, they've always kind of known about his problems, but this is a new level of embarrassment. But we pack our things in silence and, and leave. The next day, I come home from work, and I walk through the door, and Brian's sitting on the couch, nursing another hangover. I sit on the other end of it, stiff, and he knows that there's a conversation that's about to happen, but he thinks it's going to go how it usually does, which is anger and tears, and then empty promises and forgiveness, but not this time. This time... I look him in his bloodshot eyes and I say, I can't live like this anymore. I can't do what we're doing. I need a break and time to figure myself out and figure out like what I really want. And I need a space of my own. Brian won't look at me. I'm shaking. But he apologizes and he says, if that's what you really want to do, then I guess you got to do it. But I just don't know where I'm going to go. So I make him dinner, like I always do. And then we sit on the couch and listen to music like we always do. The next month is like this advent calendar of awkwardness. As he like waits for me to go back on what I said and never looks for a new place. But I stick to it. And two days before Christmas, I pack all of his things into my car, and I drive him to his parents' house. <laughs> the whole way there, he's just cursing at me and saying, you bitch, like, how could you abandon me like this? You say you love me, but if you loved me, you wouldn't do this. But this time I know the script, and I block it out. So I unpack his things, drop him off. On the way home, I need to get groceries, and so I stop. And I find myself in the bread aisle, 
I'm like, oh, I gotta call Brian and ask him what kind of bread to get before remembering, oh, duh, Julia, this is your decision to make. So I'm like standing there among this wall of bread, okay, and like it just looks terrifying to me. And I know it's like really funny now, but in the moment I really was terrified. I have no idea what I want. I just don't know. So I stand there for like five minutes and finally I just grab a loaf of oat nut bread. (laughs) And I take it back to my quiet, calm apartment, and I begin the slow work of learning who I am. For starters, I'm a person who likes oat nut bread. (laughs) It took me a couple years to get there, but I think that that's my grandma's perseverance shining through. Her murder left a trauma in my life that will never fully heal but it also brought me out of the shadows of Brian's twisted reality and into my own. Her death shocked me into learning how to live. is all for this week's episode folks this is Frazy ford behind me now and we just heard from julia christine hey listen halloween and the winter holidays are coming relatively soon so if you have a really scary true story or a really lovely or surprising yuletide tale uh, go to the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions for instructions on how to pitch us your story. We don't care where you are in the world. We want your Halloween or winter holiday stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. And you know what? If this podcast means something to you, if risk is a part of your life that you value please consider becoming a patron of ours at patreon.com slash risk you'll have access 
to over 400 episodes and lots and lots of bonus content that's never appeared on the podcast before. You can get the ad-free versions of episodes each week when they first come up, where we cut out a lot of the promotional talk that I do on the show. And you can know that you're helping our staff to keep this extraordinarily hard show to produce produced. (laughs) It takes an enormous amount of work and a heck of a lot of people, and we want to keep doing it for as long as we possibly can. And of course, there's another way to support us, and that is to buy the Risk book. If you already own it, why not buy more (laughs) copies to give away as gifts? All right, now I'm going to tell you all the places that Risk is coming next. On September 6th, we're in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. Come on out on September 6th, Portland, Oregon. On September 7th, we're in Seattle, Washington, back at the Vera Project, September 7th at the Vera Project in Seattle, Washington. On September 8th, we're in Vancouver at the Biltmore Cafe. Come on out, Vancouver, on September 8th. On September 15th, we're back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. On September 20th, we are at NYU Bookstore at 726 Broadway. September 20th at NYU Bookstore. That's one of our book signings and book readings in New York there. And then on October 4th, we're in Denver, Colorado. October 4th. Our big return to Denver, Colorado at the Bluebird Theater. We are taking pitches for that show, so start pitching us, Denver folks, at risk-show.com slash submissions. And hey, if you want storytelling training, there's all sorts of training that we have available at thestorystudio.org. We do one-on-one training over Skype. We have video courses that you can download and take in your own time. We do workshops in person in New York, in Los Angeles, and in Minneapolis. And we do corporate training for companies like Google and Pfizer and Citibank. That is all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Algorithms for sales. If you review the risk book on Amazon, then I might lick your tails. Review the risk book on Amazon. 
Do, 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 do.